Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as we continue our study through the book of 1 Thessalonians. And today our text will be verses 3 to 6. 1 Thessalonians verses 3 to 6, but I think we will start and read from verse 1 to the end of verse 6. Actually, we'll read to the end of verse 8. I've changed my mind. Okay. Listen to Paul as he writes. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel, excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us from, for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. There ends the reading of God's word this morning. Join with me as we pray before we go through this text this morning. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for giving it to us that we might know who you are, and that we are not left guessing uh, as to who you are or what you desire from us. And so we praise and thank you for that. We thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit so we can understand it. And so I pray again that he will teach us this morning and that whatever is said from this pulpit will be right and true and whatever is not right and true that you will have it so it is not heard. And so this morning we pray that you will teach us that we might know more of who you are, what you want from us, and that we might love you more, I pray. In your name, amen. Well, as we've been going through the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul has begun really the beginning of this book, and he had given thanks for the Thessalonians, especially for what God had done for them. He had answered accusations about his ministry, saying, actually, I do love you, I do care for you, I didn't abandon you, I didn't try to take advantage of you when I was there. And so he defends that ministry. In fact, he, he sent Timothy when he couldn't go in order to strengthen and encourage them as to their faith. And Paul is concerned about their faith. He's concerned about their growth. And so he, 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 he continues to, to talk about the idea of them needing to grow in faith. In fact, he says... Uh, I want to come to see you. It's not just good enough for Timothy to be there. I want to see you face to face that I may complete what is lacking in your faith. In other words, there, Timothy's come back. He's given me a good report. He's told me good things about you, but he also has given me some ideas here that I recognize that you're not fully mature in Christ. There are areas where you need to live out 
the Christian life in a, in a more full way and there's more information that you need in order for your faith to be complete. And so Paul prays for them in verses 11 to 13 for exactly that. He wants to establish their hearts without blame and holiness. And so Paul is about not just praying for their lack of their faith that is lacking, but he says, now I recognize that the way that I can help you is, is to address these things in a letter. Though I can't be with you, and though that would be better, I'm going to write to you, and now I'm going to address those things that are lacking in your faith. And one of those things that he says that is lacking is really your holiness. In other words, he says, without blame and holiness, I want to present you that way. In other words, you're not there yet. In other words, your practice and, and your life is not where it needs to be yet. And we recognize that we're all there, that we're all in that, in that process of growing. And so he begins in chapter 4 with finally, and we talked about that. He's not quitting. He's not, this is a, actually transition, not conclusion. And now he's going to address the things that are lacking in their faith. And so he says, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord that you receive, as you receive instructions to how to walk and please God. And he says, I've already instructed you in God-pleasing conduct. I've already given you those commandments, and I want you to excel still more in them. I want you to continue to grow in them. I want you to, to fill in what is lacking in your faith by following those commands. And so he encourages them to keep going. You're not there yet. He tells them, guess what? You need to start now. And these commandments come with authority. Now, as he moves through into verse 3, he kind of reiterates and he explains a little bit more what it means to walk in a way that is pleasing to God. In other words, he, he, he now makes what we would call explicit what he has implied before. And we could really say that what he has said before is talking about sanctification. He's told them to excel more, to continue to, to walk in a way that is pleasing to God and to continue to grow in that. And we said last week, that's actually a definition of progressive sanctification. You, this is what you do as a believer. You continue to grow and you continue to do things that are pleasing to God. And so you, you never get there until that final big bump of sanctification when you die and you go to be with the Lord and you are glorified. And so Paul is now going to really explain or, or really give it in, in what we would call explicitly talk about sanctification. He's going to give us what we would say is God's will for you. He says, I'm going to reveal God's will to you. And then he says, I'm going to apply that will to you in the area of sexual morality. And so we will see that in our text this morning. First of all, he gives us God's will revealed. And then he applies that in the area of sexual immorality. So Paul starts this section as he comes, as he's as he is dealing with their holiness, dealing with what is lacking in their faith, what is lacking in their practice. And he begins with this little conjunction, this little conjunction for. 
He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And again, if we looked back at verse 2, if you look back at the statement he made, for you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And again, in in verse 2, Paul emphasizes the authoritative nature of the instructions that he had given to them already. He already expresses the authority of these commands. And so Paul says, the commands I gave you weren't my idea. I didn't make these things up. There wasn't something that came to me and I decided that I was going to give it to you. But these were commands that I told you in verse 2 that are for all believers and you must do them. It's for the church at Thessalonica. It is for the church here. And these commandments, again, that he gave, that he talked about giving, were not something that we could choose to do or choose not to do or choose when we implement them, but they were to be done. And Paul literally said, by by the Lord Jesus, he's the one who gave them. It's as if he spoke these words to you, these commandments that he gave. And they are binding. It's not optional. And again, Paul spoke at the end of verse 1 about sanctification, how the Christian is supposed to live, how he is supposed to grow and walk in pleasing God. He says, I want you to excel more. And again, we said that's the definition of progressive sanctification, to walk in a way that brings pleasure to God and each and every day to grow and grow in greater intensity in that way. Now, Paul here in verse 3 now is going to deal with that issue directly. He mentions that word sanctification, like I said, directly. This is the will of God, your sanctification. So he begins here and he says, this is the will of God. This word for will is used in the New Testament to refer, refer to that which one wishes or desires. But in the New Testament, it's used to describe the will or the wish of God. And and that's what it emphasizes, God's authority, his divine desire. And because it comes from God, it it is he who expresses this desire. We could say this, God's will is actually God's desire. It is a personal desire of a personal being who wants this to happen. It's not just a set of rules that are set out there but it is the will of God that he desires himself. So it is God who's willing this. And it is expressed by none other than the almighty, all-powerful, all-majestic God himself. Now notice this, he says, for this is the will of God, and, and, and this little statement we can lose for this is the will of God. In other words, we, we, we skip over it, but he's emphasizing that this is the will of God. It's, he's emphasizing the declarative nature of this will. It's not some mystery. It's not something that we can't find. It's not something that we have to go on a search for. It's not something that we have to, you know, have to belong to a special group or have, 
or find people who are in a special group who have this information, it's not hidden from public knowledge. In other words, this is public knowledge. In other words, God desires that, this, that his will is revealed, declared. And so this is what Paul preached to all who came to Christ, who put their faith in Christ all in all, this public knowledge that they could understand it. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week, but it's hard, to, uh, it's hard for us to imagine as we stand here after 2,000 years of church history, as we have the full word of God given to us, and we simply are able to read it and understand it because we have the Holy Spirit, to recognize that this is, was completely new when it came out. For the first century believer who served pagan gods, they, they didn't know what their gods wanted. There was nothing in their religions that actually laid out what the will of their gods was. And so they spent all of their time in subjugation to these gods, trying to please these gods, hoping that they could please these gods, but never actually ever knowing. The will of God for them was obscure. We only have to re look at Acts chapter 17 where Paul is there in Athens and he was there just before he got to Corinth, before he got to Thessalonica. And he's looking around this city and he's seeing all the paganism and all of the gods and all the altars and he comes across this altar that says what? To the unknown God. They didn't even, they didn't even know all of the gods. They were just throwing everything at the wall hoping that they could please. And they were saying, well, maybe there's a God we don't know about and we'll just, we'll worship him and we'll, we'll try to placate him because we don't know who all the gods are even. But God in his benevolence has revealed to us his desire. We don't have to guess. We don't have to hope. We don't have to just try to appease. He literally has laid out his will for us. Now notice this. What is God's will? Look at the middle of verse 3. For this is the will of God, what? Your sanctification. Your sanctification. There it is, right? Now, this certainly doesn't take in all of the will of God in the fact that this is all we know about the will of God because a little bit later in chapter 5, in verse 18, he will make a statement and he will declare that the will of God is that we are to what? Give thanks. But he certainly is, is putting kind of an umbrella here and saying, listen, this is what God wants for you to be sanctified. So that's the question then. Be, what does it mean to be sanctified? Well, we, we touched a little bit on it earlier, but I think it's important that we define this term. Simply stated, sanctification refers to setting something or someone apart from something and then setting them apart for something else. In other words, there's a two-part system here. Taking from this and giving over to this. It has the idea then, it has these two components. First, there is there's the idea of separating. In other words, separating from what is ordinary. 
Sanctification is always about a separation from the mundane, separation from the vain, ordinary, from the worldly, from the common. And this was often used in the Old Testament where things were set apart. The things that were, they were taken from what was unclean, what was common and used for special purposes. And he says, you, sanctification has that idea. But it, has no, it ha- also includes the second element. It involves consecration for special usage or status. And sanctification must include these two ideas. It must be on one side setting apart and uh, taking away and setting apart. Something has to be taken and is dedicated to a particular purpose. And we have to have both because if you don't, you get a false understanding of sanctification. It, with, it, it has the idea first of withdrawing from what's common and mundane and then being set apart. And, and you can see why if you don't have both parts, how you don't come up with it. Because you can imagine, and, and this is maybe where a lot of the people in the church have, have gone wrong, right? I am willing to be set apart for God, but I'm just going to continue in my own mundane common life. In other words, no change of behavior, no change of what I, what I do, no change of my loves, no, no change of my desires, just simply what? I'm, gonna, I'm now Christ's. And I'm going to give my vain life to Christ. I'm going to give what's mundane and ordinary without giving up the sin that was in my life. But sanctification involves separation and consecration. Separation from sin, consecrated, set apart for God. It means deconforming to what you once did and conforming to what God has for you. To be set apart for him. And therefore we would say this, question, that sanctification always involves morality. It always involves how we live. It involves our ethics. It always affects all of these areas. And so it means leaving behind certain things, certain love, certain behavior. And then embracing new ones. We could almost say this is the put off, put on principle, right? Put off sin, put off what you were doing and now be conformed to what God calls us to do in obedience to him. So we are called to be separated. Biblical doctrine says this, in sanctification... God's working, especially by the Holy Spirit, separates the believer unto himself and makes him increasingly holy, progressively transforming into the image of Christ by subduing the power of sin in his life and enabling him to bear the fruit of obedience in his life. There you have it. Separation, consecration. Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, this is still lacking in your life. This is still something that you need to go to holiness. 
and to set aside the sin in your life. And you must, what, still excel more at this. And so he says, this is the declared will of God for you. This should be your first priority, to be sanctified, to be set apart. This is a command. There's no room to disagree. God wants you separated and consecrated. That's what your life is to be. And so Paul really wants to make sure he's talked about walking in a God-pleasing way to have behavior that pleases him. And he says to excel more. And he says, I just want you for, I want to explain to you, I want you to make sure that you know that God's will for your life is to be set apart, set apart from sin, set apart to him, consecrated to him in obedience. This is what you need to do. This is what your life is to be about. Separating from sin, consecrated to God. This is the life of the believer. Thessalonians, make sure you recognize your priority. Bowmanville Baptists, make sure that you recognize your priority to Christ-likeness. Well, Paul is now going to apply the idea of sanctification and holiness and God-pleasing behavior in verses, in the rest of the verses, 3b to the end of 6a. And he's going to give us three exhortations when it comes to sanctification in the area of sexual purity, sexual immorality. And he wants the Thessalonians, this is an area that they need to work on. This is an area that they need to excel still more on. And so he says to them, I want you to excel more. And here's how I want you to excel more. I want you to be sanctified. I want you to be sanctified in the area of, of sexual purity. And so he says this, and you'll notice this. He, he, he defines this by three phrases that start with that. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Number two, that each of you know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor, and not in lustful passions. And then verse six, and that no man transgresses or defrauds his brother. And so he defines now what he wants them to do. How, I want you to be sanctified in, in the area of sexual purity. And he says, I give you three exhortations or three commands that you are to follow. And we could say this, the first command is don't dabble in immorality. Secondly, we are called to control our flesh. And thirdly, we are called not to defraud our brothers in Christ. So he begins in, verse, in, in this section and he says this, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now you'll notice this. He says you are, you are to what? Abstain. He doesn't say, I want you to be restrained in this area. He doesn't say, 
I want you to try to stop in this area. He doesn't say do your best. He says, I want you to abstain. And the idea is to separate, to keep away, to refrain. And the idea is, I want you to be completely separate from sexual immorality. This is not an area that you get to dabble. It's not an area where you can say, well, you know what? Um, An occasional oops is okay. Right? After all, I'm weak, I'm human. It's, you know, I, I, I can't be expected to just put all this away. And Paul says, actually, I want you to be completely separated. In other words, I want, and, and the idea is, is present tense, which means it's continual ha- habitual practice, not a one-time practice, not like, oh, I, I was able to resist once, but no, it's the habit of life to abstain from sexual immorality. Now you might say, well, what does, what does you mean by sexual immorality? Well, well we can, it's pretty simple. The word pornea here is, is a very general term. And it's very an inclusive term. And we could really say this. It refers to any sexual activity that is contrary to God's design. In other words, any sexual activity that is not according to what God has ordained for marriage. Now that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty broad. It just means anything, right? Fornication, which we would say sex out of marriage, premarital sex. That is against God's ordained way for sexual relations to be expressed. That goes for every kind of sex outside of marriage. Now we can, we can hear the word pornea. We, we already can hear that problem that is so prevalent today in pornography. And again, the idea is, is that you are expressing a desire for something that God has forbidden for you. He says, if a man lusts in his heart, he has committed what adultery already. And he says, you stay away from it. Adultery, homosexuality, bestiality, masturbation, all of these things are expressions of sexuality that are not ordained by God within marriage. They are not in the will of God and in the bounds for what he has laid out. And God is consistent with this. And as we look through Leviticus 18, 19, 20, we, rem- we see the penalties for falling in this area. And we remember what context that Paul is writing in this. We think that our society is bad. We sometimes think that this is the worst society that has ever existed. It's not. It's getting there. It's getting there rapidly. But here you have a society where where sexuality was part of worship you went to this is why it was idolatry was so strong because it was actually you needed to involve be involved in immorality to worship you went to the temple to the temple prostitutes often marriages were arranged and and there was and and it was expected that you would have affairs outside of your marriage 
And so Paul is saying to them, listen, you need to abstain from this. This isn't something that you, that you can dabble in. You are to be completely separated from this. So Paul says, listen, don't dabble. Don't think that you can put your toe in the water and somehow still remain pure. You need to be what? Sanctified. You need to set apart. Don't be conformed to what you did once were. Now you need to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ and you must live a life that is consecrated to him in sexual purity. Then Paul says, not only, not only are you to not dabble in sexual immorality, but he says, you must control your flesh. You must control your body. And again, he starts with this word that. Each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Now this verse is admittedly the hardest verse in 1 Thessalonians to actually understand. It's the hardest one to translate. There are various views as to what vessel means. There's dispute over what one means to possess. Some people say, well, this means actually that you are to, the idea is to possess is the idea actually to obtain. And so some people say, well, you're supposed to obtain your own vessel in sanctification. And they say, well, vessel actually, I think, refers to being a wife. And so they say, you need to possess your own wife. And so the idea here is that you are, in order not to be, uh, that you need to treat your wife with honor and in sanctification in your marriage, that this is where you are to spend your energy. And so he says, you, you are supposed to possess your own wife. And that is a possibility. But I would understand that the natural understanding of the word vessel has to do with the body. In fact, when Paul talks about the wife, he says, you are to be what? She is the weaker what? Vessel. Right? Now, the implication is you are a vessel as well. The, the, the implication is that he's speaking here of what? The body, the flesh. And so Paul says, he says, he says that each of you know. In other words, the idea is to have knowledge and, the abil- and then the ability to do it. In other words, uh, that you, you understand how you are to, to live, how to possess your own vessel. In other words, how to control your own vessel. In other words, you have mastery over that vessel. You are able to actually control your bodily impulses. And so he says... I want, this is God's will, and this is what I want for you in the area of sexual immorality, that each one of you possess your own body, we could translate it, in sanctification and honor. Now, you know, uh, 
The New American Standard here says vessel because they didn't want to make a call on this. <laughs> but I would understand this to be ve- to the vessel. And I would suggest to you that if he was, ta- first of all, I think that bringing a wife into here is, 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 is new to the context. I would also say that it also implies that in order for you to, uh, that having a wife then is necessary to prevent immorality, which means that each one of you must get married. And, but Paul said, actually, some of you are celibate. So I, I think there are, there are some problems with that idea. And I think that the, the use of this word vessel is used more often in Scripture to refer to the body. Paul, uh, Ananias designated the newly converted Saul as a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles. And again, the idea, the, uh, 1 Samuel 21.5, the vessels of the young men were holy. And so again, the, the idea seems to be pointing to the body, not to, to a wife. And he says, you need to live your life in sanctification, your body in sanctification. In other words, you need to be able to control the impulses of your body, the, the catching of your flesh, to control the unredeemed human flesh that is the beachhead f- for sin and immorality. For that reason, Paul urged believers to kill the flesh, live by the Spirit, and dedicate their bodies to God and allow the Spirit to renew their minds so that the body would not control them. In, in Paul's day, this is what was exactly what happened. Most of the people were controlled by their physical appetites and impulses and superficial emotions. And so Paul says, you need to, you need to actually control your vessel And again, as we read this morning in Galatians, how does that take place, right? If you walk in the spirit, right, then you don't give in to the flesh, right? He who's controlled by the flesh walks in the flesh, he's in the spirit, in the spirit. And so the idea then is that we must walk in obedience by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we don't carry out the desires of the flesh. And so Paul says, listen, you need to possess your own body in sanctification, set apart from sin, consecrated to God and honor. In other words, when you live this way and you're separated from sin, it brings honor to your body and it brings honor to God. And he says, in contrast, not in lustful passions, not in, not in this passions that are controlling you, this, this lust that is insatiable, these passions that, that run wild, that, 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 are not, that are uncontrollable is the idea. He says, like the Gentiles who do not know God. In other words, he says, and Gentiles here, I think he's speaking here primarily of unbelievers, those who don't know God. He says, like the Gentiles who what, do not know God. In other words, the reason that they are controlled by their passions and their, and their lusts is because they don't know God. And I would suggest to you 
the only way to control your lusts is to know God. The natural response to those who see God for who he is, is woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. The response to seeing God is to see our sin. And so if you struggle with sin and you struggle with, with lust or pornography, your biggest problem is that you don't know God. You don't love God. And so you need to, to know who God is in order to overcome the lust of the flesh. The Gentiles do this because they what? They don't know God. Paul says, if you know God, if you know who he is, then you will control the lust of your flesh. So walk by the Spirit, right? And know God. And so that, that is going to mean that you need to be in the word of God, washed by the word of God, continually under the power of the Holy Spirit to teach you who God is. This is why we teach in Fundamentals of the Faith the attributes of God. How can you worship the God in spirit and truth and how can you know God if you don't know who he is? If you know nothing about him. Now, it's not enough just to know information about him. You actually have to know him. But you can't know him without knowing who he is. And so if you're going to possess your vessel, if you are going to be faithful in the area of sexuality, you need to what? Know God. Struggling? then study God, know him, call out to him, study his word. Then there is victory. So he says, don't dabble in it. Don't dabble in sexual immorality. He says, don't let your flesh control you. And then in verse six, he says, don't defraud your Christian brother. Don't defraud your Christian brother. He says in verse 6, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter. In the matter. He says, this is what, here's the problem. You are not to transgress, to sin against. It includes the idea, the idea here is the idea of stepping over the line, exceeding lawful limits. In other words, taking what's not yours. The, the, the New King James Version gives further insight by rendering it, take advantage of. He says, don't transgress, don't go beyond the line, don't take something that is not yours by taking advantage. And then he says, not only don't take advantage, but he says, don't defraud. Don't defraud. In other words, don't take the idea is, is similar, where you are, you are taking something that is not yours. It includes the notion of, of taking advantage of someone in the context, uh, it, it, especially in the matters of sexual sin. And he says, whenever a believer seeks to satisfy their physical desires and gain sexual pleasure at the expense of another believer, they have violated this command. 
In other words, he says, listen, be careful in the household of God. Don't violate the sexual purity of those in the church around you. Don't violate the marriages that are in the church. God takes it very seriously when we, when we transgress this. When we take advantage of another believer, God is angry. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 18, verses 6 and 7. Whoever causes one of these little one who believes in me, who's that, believers, to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of the stumbling its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to the man through whom the stumbling block comes. Woe to the man through whom the stumbling block comes. Christ takes it very seriously. In fact, he said, those Christians who cause other little ones to stumble or sin would be better off to be what? Drowned. Put a millstone around their neck and throw them in the lake. They're better off dead than to cause another believer to stumble. That's pretty serious. That's how serious God takes holiness in this area. If you cause another believer to stumble in this area, God says it'd be better if you're dead. It'd be better if you're dead. It was better. He says if you think you're going to stumble your brother, in essence, he says it would be better if you just took a stone and jumped off the boat. Now, I'm not saying do that. I just want to make that clear. But we see the seriousness that God takes this with. Right? Because we, we would say, okay, Murder, I can see that one, right? I can see murder. You take a life, your life is to be taken. But God says here, for a believer to cause another believer to stumble in this area, it's just better off if they were dead. We don't often put, equate the same seriousness to this. And yet God does. So Paul says, I want, you to, I want you to follow God's will. I want you to do what God has for you. And this is what God's will is for you. I want you to be sanctified. I want you to be consecrated to God, set apart for him, separated from your sin. This is what your life is about. In other words, there needs to be a change. You can't go on. Life does not go on as normal when you are converted when you are genuinely born again there is a change in direction a change in desires and he says that's God's will for you so for you to continue in the same direction without changing and and and, and to keep on doing the things that you've always done and somehow add Jesus to it does not work 
You can't have Jesus and hang on to your sin. You must get rid of your sin and you must be consecrated and set apart for him. And then he applies God's will. He applies the idea of sanctification to the Thessalonians and to us. And he says, don't dabble. Separate yourself from it. There's no good, there's no acceptable way to do this except God's way within marriage. He says, control the lusts of your flesh. Control your body so that it is in sanctification, set apart to God, set apart from sin, so that it is honorable. Don't act like the world. Don't act like those who don't know God. You do know God. You you know him. And in knowing him, he's given you the ability to live in obedience to him in this area. There is victory. And then he says, don't defraud your brother. Don't defraud your brother. Don't be someone who causes a fellow believer to stumble. Be set apart. Set apart for him. And do not cause those who are set apart to God and set apart from sin to stumble. So this morning, let us be about God's will. Let us be set apart for him. Let us be about the process of sanctification and let us apply it to this area in our lives. Let us completely cut off any sexual immorality. Let it not be among us. Let each one of us be about the process of being controlling our flesh, walking in the Spirit, studying the Word in the Spirit to know God so that we will not disobey Him. And let us be mindful of how we treat one another so that we would never, ever be the cause of stumbling our brother. And if we do that, then we will walk in a way that is pleasing to God. And so let us walk in a way that is pleasing to God and let us excel still more. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And again, we thank you for giving it to us that we might know it. And I pray this morning that we would be those who would be about your will. That we would be those who would recognize that this is what we need to be doing in our lives, to be set apart from sin, set apart to you. And that we would apply it in this area of sexual immorality and sexual purity. And that we would be those who would abstain from it, who would control our flesh, and who would not cause our brothers to stumble in this. Lord, we pray that you would help us to continue to excel more in pleasing you. In your name, amen.